Well then, on to today's advanced training. Interviewing basics, interviewing basics. Uh, there are two ways of making money with us. There's, of course, the sales side, which is that immediate money. I, I was having a conversation yesterday with some agents, and I know friends who uh, have built businesses outside of this industry, and uh, they had to get capital somehow, some way. Uh, to build that business. I always saw the personal production as a means to the end of building a business. I, I did not have the credit to go get a small business loan to build this business. I did not have uh, angel investors or venture capital firms knocking down my door to give me uh, millions of dollars to build the business, but I did have an insurance license and I was able to make phone calls and book appointments and go make sales and make money. And so with that money, what I did was I turned around and started hiring and training other agents uh, and building the business side of it. So uh, in doing that over years now, people have asked me, hey, Fitz, can you help me do the same thing? I, I, all day, every day, that's what I'm doing is helping people do the same thing. Uh, and so for today's training, I want to talk about the interviewing basics, basically how I do uh, interviews. I want to start off first talking about what you're going to learn today. You're going to learn the math and you're going to learn the mechanics. I will get into the nuts and bolts of the mechanics, but um, and a lot of people want to know the nuts and bolts, but nuts and bolts don't motivate me. Uh, I'm not motivated by the knowledge of product or I'm not motivated by the knowledge of how to do something. I'm motivated by the why to do something. Um, and, and as we get into talking about doing interviews and getting better at that, uh, I want to I want to share, you know, the kind of things that motivate me uh, in, in doing what I do. I mean, I've been at this over 20 years and people say, don't you get tired of this? There's times I get tired. Yeah, yesterday was the day I was tired. I was tired yesterday. I just, it was a long weekend. We had a lot going on as a family and I was just, I didn't feel like I rested well. And so I was tired, but I wasn't weary. I, I wasn't, I didn't get up this morning going, oh man, I got to go help somebody. I don't want to help anybody. Today. So I, I don't, I hadn't gotten to the place where I'm tired of doing this yet. I still love it, right? And so um, I, I want to show the math, though, that really does motivate me um, to, uh, to, to move forward with what we're doing on a daily basis. And then I'll finish with the mechanics. Uh, but again, I think the, the, the why of this, the math, is going to be more important uh, than the mechanics. So the math. Here's a first example. Say, so I wanted to be rich. Like when I, was, <laughs> when I was eight years old, I decided I wanted to be a, a business owner. I wanted to own my own business at eight years old. And I started trying to figure out ways to make money. And I was trying to figure out how to, how to uh, uh, make money and help others make money and just on and on and on. It was, it was a constant drive for me. And I, matter of fact, I went to college for two reasons. One, it was expected in my family that you go to college. Um, it was, it was, that was how we were raised. It was never an option. And number two, I went to college. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor so I could make a lot of money and invest in real estate. I've been very open and honest about that. Uh, I got to the end of my college uh, four years. Uh, I graduated with a psych degree, religious studies minor, and a pre-med qualification, but had no money for medical school. I didn't even have money to take the, the MCAT to go get into medical school. Uh, I had to get out of school and start making money. But here was the example I was looking at with real estate. With real estate, let's say you have a $100,000 investment, you buy, and, and on the West Coast, we're talking real numbers here, not, not West Coast numbers, but um, <laughs> the rest of the country, you go buy a rental property for $100,000, uh, you're maybe going to get $1,000 per month return, that's the gross, okay, that's gross, that's before the expenses, and, and I, 
Here's what I didn't have. I could not build my business in the real estate and buying and selling real estate. I couldn't do that because I didn't have the, the credit to go get that $100,000 to buy that house. Uh, I didn't have the $100,000 to go buy that. It wasn't an option for me, this option. I mean, since I didn't go get my medical degree <laughs> and start making lots of money as a doctor, I didn't have the resources to do this option. I think it's a good option. I know people who've made lots of money in this option. Also, during the pandemic, I know lots of people who lost a lot of money in this option, and our business keeps thriving. So I feel like I made a good choice. Moving on, second example, savings. Let's say you want to save your way to wealth. Nobody does that, but what does it look like? I mean, nobody, literally nobody saves their way to wealth. Maybe you save your way to um, being stable financially, but that's very different than wealth, okay? So saving your way. Let's say you have a you have million dollars in the bank. When I first moved to Texas, I met a, a friend that was like his ambition was to save $5 million into tax-free municipal bonds that were going to pay off 3% uh, a year. So making $150,000 a year tax-free by putting $5 million in the tax-free municipal bonds. And I said, that sounds like a dream. He's like, well, Ross Perot, that's where all of Ross Perot's money is. This is 20 years ago. I was like, wow, that's phenomenal. That's a great idea. Hey, so how are you going to get that $5 million? <laughs> Where's that coming from? Well, I'm saving everything I can. Okay, but you make $60,000 a year. How are you going to save $5 million? I mean, you have to save everything Literally. for like the next 100 years <laughs> to save up $5 million. Like you, you, It's never going to happen. I don't understand. Are you going to go to uh, like win the lottery? Are you hoping to win the lottery? Like I, I didn't really, I didn't get where that, and he never had a good answer for me where he's going to get that $5 million. So what does it play out though? If you could save a million dollars and put it in the bank, what would it look like? Well, 3% interest, that's $30,000 a year. That didn't sound really exciting to me. I mean, it's uh, $2,500 per month. So if you could save up a million dollars, what kind of money do you need to make in order to save up a million dollars? And then you're getting 3%, say, in a tax-free municipal bond. So you're getting $30,000. You worked to save up a million dollars. Now you're getting paid $30,000 a year. It sounds like you're going backwards. Doesn't it sound like you're going backwards? Like you had to do way better than that. I don't know. It just, I never could get to the point where I could figure out how to save that million dollars. Like it just didn't, I want to be rich now. So how do I save a million dollars now in order to be rich now? I, I'd be rich if I had, anyway, I kept going circles. I could not, couldn't come to the answer there. So here, here's this, this recruiting example. Now, uh, I, I kind of updated this a little bit to use modern terms, but uh, in my day, <laughs> in my day, I'm 44 now, right? But 20 plus years ago, uh, the way we advertised was newspapers. The, the uh, Al Gore hadn't really completed the internet yet. And so uh, that's a joke. He, he claimed to do that. Um, it's just picking on him. But um, so th there was no advertising online in 1999. It was it was newspaper ads. And so I was putting newspaper ads in um, as uh, as as often as I could uh, running newspaper ads. And what I was doing, I was spending about four hundred dollars a week in the Dallas Morning News and four hundred dollars a week in the Fort Worth Star Telegram. That was eight hundred dollars a week. I was spending on newspaper ads. It was a three line ad. I learned the tricks of no bolding and no stars and none of that sort of stuff. So I could keep it real simple and straightforward. Uh, and, and not be charged all the extras. But that was $800 a week. $3,200 a month is what I was putting in. And, and I'm going to show you much less numbers here, but it's all scalable, okay? My, my, what I knew was when I ran an ad, I could find somebody. And if I found that somebody, I could start making money. And all I had to do was start stacking up. I mean, if you think about, like, building a house, all I had to do was start stacking up those bricks. Eventually, I'd have a house. So... 
let's say you're putting $140 a week in Craigslist ads. Now, uh, everything is uh, real time, right? So right now, maybe Craigslist isn't the place to put it. Maybe it's ZipRecruiter. Oh, maybe ZipRecruiter is not the place to put it. Maybe it's Monster. Maybe it's not Monster right now. Maybe it's put $140 a week into advertising. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a, to me, that's a low bar. I was putting $800 a week. I had no money. I was putting $800 a week into it. That's $7,280 over the course of the year. Uh, 24 responses per week. I'm not saying they're 24 licensed agent, but 24 responses per week. Over the course of a year, that's 1,248 responses. Now, here's the thing. You're doing, you don't put the 7,200 all up front. It's just 140. It's just being consistent. People, some people say, well, I can afford more than 140. Well, do that because you'll get there faster. I can't afford 140. Then do less. Whatever you do, be consistent with it. And as you can, increase your budget. You cannot grow a business without a budget for that, without, without putting capital into it. I've not heard of one success story where the entrepreneur said, you know what, we didn't put anything into it. Turned around, this company is offering us offering us a billion dollars for our company. We didn't put anything into it. I never once have heard that. It's never happened. I never once heard a farmer go, you know what, we didn't plant it all this year, and boom, look at that bumper crop of corn. We didn't plant anything. You never hear those stories. Why? Because they don't exist. It's not real. So if you're going to build, you've got to put money in. But here's the thing. What I found was if I just dumped a lot of money at one time and then nothing, I couldn't handle all the responses at that one time. And, and then I had nothing for a while. And so I had to figure out how to last through the drought. No, nope. the, the trick is to find a number every week that you can put in or, or every month, but certainly consistently. Okay. So what you're looking for is, is the long-term response rate one producer knocking out $10,000 annual premium. Out of 1,200 responses to your ad, do you think you can find one producer that can account for $10,000 in premium? This is what I built my business on. I was looking for one person that could account for $10,000 a month in premium. Now, maybe that person is not a $10,000 producer, which I don't know how they're living, but if you're not... Like ten, maybe they weren't a ten thousand dollar producer. Maybe they're a part timer that had four or five other part timer buddies that were doing two or three, four thousand a piece. But they all added up to ten thousand. This was my whole game plan. I'm going to run all this to find that one person. With a ten percent spread, that's a thousand dollars per month you're making on that one person, or or the team of people that that person accounted for. Seven months you get your money back. Seven months your annual input. Is already, is already back to you. Your, your annual investment has already come back seven months in. The rest is gravy. This is what, this is the mentality of why I built my business. So I talk to people all the time and I, and I say, listen, I'm looking for one more person. This year, I want to write one more app. If we can get one more app, that's growth from last year. I'm just looking for that one more. Some people look for the home runs. I look for the base hits. I'm not a baseball guru, never was great at baseball, but here's what I understand about baseball. The game is getting on base. Who cares about how many home runs you can hit? I'm looking for the guy that can get on base. I don't care if he's walked. I mean, the first time my oldest was playing baseball, he was scared about the first game. It was kid pitch where the other kid who's like 10 years old and can't hit the, the catcher, can't hit the whole catcher, much less his glove. Like, and, and my son, terrified to get up there before the game. I was like, son, listen, this, the game is simple. Baseball is simple. You get up there, and he said, Dad, I'm scared about getting hit. So as soon as you get hit, you're going to realize it doesn't hurt as bad as you thought. It's bigger in your mind than it is in reality. It's going to hurt, but it's not going to hurt as bad. But, but you get on base because it doesn't matter in baseball whether you get walked, whether you get hit, or you get a hit. Getting on base is the deal. This, No kidding. His first at-bat, 
He's at bat, got proper position. Now, he's got this, like, real muscular butt kind of thing going on. So, it's sticking out there. He gets hit right in the butt. And he's, oh, you can see it hurt, right? And he's rubbing on it. And he's, the coach is like, just trot it off. You know, he's trotting down to first base. He gets down to first base. He turns around and goes, I'm in the stands. He's like, Dad, I got on base. Woo! That's <laughs> like, that's a guy who gets it. I don't care if he plays another game of baseball. He just learned a life lesson. Get on base. That's all it is. I'm trying to get base hits all the time. People are confused. They think I'm trying to hit home runs. I'm not. I'm just trying to get on base. And, and that's, that's why I play the game the way I play it. If I, I'm not, listen, if I find somebody who ends up doing $50,000 a month in personal production, hot dog. But if they write one app a month, looks like there's money in that too. Now, I'm going to need a lot more of those to add up to that one fifty thousand, but I'll take both, as we like to say, both of them. Here's some non-hypothetical numbers. You ready for this? A few years ago at a conference, me and some of my nerdy uh, spreadsheet uh, agency manager buddies uh, <laughs> put together, we tracked the numbers at a national convention. We tracked who was being recognized for what income and, and what, how many recruits do they account for. We wanted to see if there's any correlation. Turns out there, uh, there is correlation, right? And so what we looked at was how many recruits per month that agency accounted for, not necessarily that leader, how many he recruited or she recruited personally, but their agency accounted for. And it didn't count any agency that was uh, broken out of that agency. So, for example, the Fitz Group has the Lampy organization, the Roberts organization, the Alleman organization, the McGill organization. Those four organizations don't count as my agency numbers. They count as my hierarchy numbers. And so we looked at purely the agency numbers for the recruits, this is licensed, contracted people, and we looked at how much income that agency leader made. Okay, so you follow this? So this is what we, the, the first category was four to six recruits in a month. This is for a year. They averaged four to six recruits per month. What is that? 48 to 56 times 12 is 72. So 48 to 72 recruits for a year, four to six on average per month. That agency, in their agency, that agency leader ended up making $228,000 on average. Not bad. But is there any correlation to recruit? You don't make money on recruiting fits. No, you don't. You got to get them up and started. They got to get going. That's, that's, how, that's how we make money is getting people selling, right? We're not making money by recruiting, but there is a correlation to how much you recruit and how much money you make. Uh, seven to ten recruits per month in that agency. The agency leader ended up making 309000 but Fitz, are some of these guys still personally producing? Is that accounting to their income as well? Yeah, it does. It does. But we're going to see some numbers. That it's it's, it's going to stop. Those, those people are going to stop personally producing. You got 10 to 14 recruits per month. That's $489,000 annual income. These, this, I'm not saying if you do this, you're going to make this. I'm saying these people did this and made this. Okay, I'm reporting history to you. I'm not predicting the future. Recruits per month, 15 to 18. That person, that, that agency manager came in with $550,000 a year in income. 20 to 22 recruits a month, $585,000 in income. 20 to eight, 28 to 32 on average recruits per month, $925,000 annual income. This is average per month. The, the, the recruiting that we're doing these days is, is, is not producing great fruit. Why? Because the numbers aren't there. If you recruit 10 people in a year, it's not the same result as doing it monthly. Duh. <laughs> That's what you're saying to me. Duh, Fitz. Could you be more obvious? I, I'm, I'm trying to be. <laughs> I'm 
trying to be more. So like I'm trying to drive recruiting for myself, for my agency. Why am I trying to drive it? Because I know that it correlates to income. And in business, if you're not paying attention to the income, what are you paying attention to exactly? <laughs> like that's the revenue of a business is how businesses are judged. So let's get into the mechanics. I'll be quick about it. Uh, I, I encourage and welcome anybody that you, if you want to listen to me doing some interviews, you're welcome to jump in and listen to me. Uh, I, I don't always do them on Zoom while I'm doing them, but I, I do occasionally. And if you want to say, it, maybe you referred somebody to me, you want to listen to that conversation, okay, tune in. Uh, let me know. I'll, I'll fire up the Zoom. We can listen in. Um, and it's probably, you're going to hear it better than, uh, than me just going through the mechanics. But I don't think well, excuse me, I don't think well in terms of scripts. I'm not good at memorizing scripts. I think it's because I say that a lot, like I'm not good at it, so I've now turned myself into not being good at memorizing scripts. I have a great memory, but I think more in terms of flowcharts, I think more in terms of outlines. If you can give me some guardrails and a final destination, I can get there. But if I have to stay in my lane and drive a certain way, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get there. Like, I don't know if I can remember all that. But just tell me my parameters of where I've got to stay within and, and where I'm ultimately heading. So in, in an interview process, what I'm ultimately doing is I'm filtering the person to see if they're a fit. I often refer to an interview as like a first date. Uh, nobody gets married on the first date. You're just checking each other out to see if there's interest in a second date. So that's really what I'm doing. Now, also in my mind, from a sales perspective, I'm thinking I'm trying to make a sale, which is to say I'm trying to bring this person on board. It's up to them really to screw it up. <laughs> right and and there's a couple of ways they can uh like saying hey i've got 18 felonies i'm currently in prison uh, i had a gentleman a few years ago go, yeah a few years ago i got arrested for firing tear gas into a building i'm like uh i don't i don't think we can <laughs> i don't think the state's gonna let you get a license man so <laughs> right like there's there's some things that were filtered that are, you filter yourself out but here's what i'm doing from an outline perspective number one relationship i'm trying to build a connection i'm trying to relate to this person uh, listen, right now in, in the current state of affairs in our nation, there's really like eight topics that you just should not talk about. Uh, and, and it, you know, the only reason you would talk about it is with the person that you know, that you know, that you know, that you can have that conversation with and they're not going to hate you. Uh, there's just so many volatile conversations right now that don't translate into anybody making money. Okay. So I don't talk about the presidential election. I don't even talk about the debate of whether to wear a mask or not. I don't talk about race relations. I'm not, Fitz, I believe those things are important. I do too. I just don't think I make any money with them. And I'm in business to make money, not make a social stand and be poor. Okay. Like, <laughs> is this making sense? Like, I just, I believe in all that stuff, but, 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 but there's time and place for all that. I'm looking to build a connection and those volatile conversations can stop a relationship before it even gets started before you even have a chance to get it started. So I don't do that. I mean, I had a, uh, a friend just recently say, I noticed you don't want to post anything on Facebook. And I, yeah, you're right, because nothing that I could post on Facebook is going to be received by everybody 100%. Some people are going to hate me for it, and so I'm just not posting it. Somebody gave me a bracelet recently about, and said, hey, will you wear this for our, one of the presidential candidates? I was like, no, I'm not going to wear that. I'm, I just, I'm not. Why? Because I got people that I love dearly that disagree with that, and if I wear that, they're going to not want to be around me, and that's not good for anybody. I don't want all of that to ruin relationship. Relationship is more important than all that other stuff. <sighs> Step off the soapbox. Okay. <laughs> please, please try to build relationship. 
And so in the conversation, the interview that I'm doing, I'm trying to build a relationship with that person. I'm looking for things that we have in common. Uh, maybe we're from the same area. Maybe our first names are both mispronounced commonly. Uh, maybe uh, they were in the military. And I wasn't in the military, but my dad was in the Navy. My brother's an Airborne Ranger in the Army, so I can probably relate to, to them somehow on the, on the military service. Or there, there's all kinds of things that you can relate to. Maybe they're from Dallas originally. I'm not from Dallas. I've been here 20-plus years, but I'm not from here. It's, always, it's, it's rare to meet somebody who was born and raised in Dallas. I, wow, you're a gem. You're like a, you're like a unicorn. You never find it. So there's, there's things that you can do. And in and, and teaching that, people say, well, how can you teach? Teach me how to relate to other people. Well, find them more interesting than you find yourself interesting. <laughs> there you go. Seek to understand rather than to be understood. Um, next time you're at a social gathering, try not talking about yourself so much. Uh, most people don't care. They care about themselves. And so uh, if you're talking about them in terms of them, using their name, you're probably going to end up making a friend. If the whole time you're talking about yourself, I mean, think about it again, first date. I see this as a first date. On a first date, if all you're doing is talking about yourself, that other person finds you not interesting and doesn't want to have a second date. The only reason you should ever talk about yourself is if they're asking you about you. And then answer quickly and turn it back to asking about them relationship this is not a step this is a theme this is the whole conversation you're looking for things you have in common not things you don't have in common okay that moves into identifying the need by the way as i go through this our in-home presentation on the sales side is lined up the same way it's exact this is sales 101 is what i used to call it i learned this by listening to brian tracy and zig ziglar this is how i formed this was was how a sale is made this is how sales are made if you're having trouble making sales Go back to this. You, this is where it all starts. This is where you're failing is this part if you're having trouble making sales. If you have a trouble making, uh, recruiting people, it's, it's, it's about the process. Much wiser people than myself came up with this, and they say this is the trick. So identify the need. You identify what somebody needs by asking them questions about what they need. You're trying to, you're like the investigative reporter. You're looking for uh, where the holes are in their story and where the, where the vulnerabilities are. So here's the needs that we can fill. If they have a need that's not one of these five, we can't fill it, right? So maybe they're looking for a good market. There's, there's some people who are med sup and med advantage only during this little window at the end of the year. They, they, but they're looking for something more year round. Or, or maybe they're non-licensed. Maybe they're a school teacher and they're looking for something to do during the summer. Right? Or maybe they're looking for a little part-time income that's going to get them their, their household budget up. So the market is important that we're in. We're in life insurance and annuities. That's a big deal. Number two, companies. We've hired licensed people. Licensed people have come on board with us just because we have companies that uh, are actually uh, name brand <laughs> that issue business. We've hired people purely for that reason. Non-licensed people get excited about companies like the name brands. Like we represent reputable companies like Mutual of Omaha and Transamerica. They, names they're familiar with. Number three need is leads. A licensed person, most common thing they're looking for in coming on board is a lead source. And so they're looking for leads. We're asking about their previous experience with leads. Have you ever worked direct mail? Tell me about that. How'd that go? Where'd that system fail? And I'm looking for how their system sucked and how ours doesn't. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for with that. A non-licensed person is interested in leads because they're interested in not having to go hit up their friends and family for yet something else they're trying to sell them, right? Number four is support. Uh, a licensed person, we've had people come on board and say, if I had this level of support and training where I just came from, I would never have left. 
Yeah. And, and so licensed people are constantly looking for that. Most licensed people experienced the old spaghetti trick of throwing the spaghetti against the wall to see if it's done, right? See if it sticks. That's, that's, that's what most people experience. Uh, Non-licensed people, they are craving support because they're stepping into something that's the unknown for them. They don't know it. They don't understand it. They're looking for somebody that's going to walk them through it. Number five is money, and it's really the opportunities for building. A licensed person, a lot of licensed people don't have the opportunity to build a team or an agency elsewhere, and so they're looking for that opportunity. A lot of non-licensed people, frankly, didn't wake up this morning looking for an insurance job. They, they maybe crave something bigger where they could be their own boss and run their own business and, and do something like that. Well, we have that opportunity. So these are the five needs that we're going to uncover in the recruiting process. If you don't find one of these five, uh, you probably didn't work hard enough <laughs> in, in asking the questions. But, but if, you, if they really truly don't have one of these five, we probably don't have a fit for them. I don't know why they'd be looking for something. Number three, right? So the, the step one is relationship. Step two, identify the need. Step three, fill the need. What you're doing here is once you've identified the need, you need to focus in and talk about how we are great at that. Uh, and how, how what we have will fill what they're looking for. I, I've had people listen to me do interviews, and they say, well, you didn't tell them about this and this and this and this and this. And I say, that's why I recruited them and you didn't. Because I didn't talk about the things they're not interested in. But you should tell them everything. You should, full disclosure fits. All right, so uh, my kids, I believe in giving them everything and fully disclosing to them but there's things I have to tell them in stages because if I try to start explaining sex trafficking to my eight-year-old she might not get it that makes sense just now the 14 year old is, is, is understanding these conversations and how crazy that stuff is but it's like that's a real thing to talk about but I, I don't talk to them about it when they're four like, there's there's stages you don't you don't give the baby a, a, a ribeye and say enjoy dinner right you, you give them milk because it's easier to digest easier to swallow so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them what they need to know when they need to know it does that mean I'm trying to hide anything no I send my kids to school because there's like eight million things I can't remember to tell them <laughs> there's eight million things I don't know to tell them and the school helps out with that right so now I'm filling the need I'm only talking in terms of what their need was Period. Nothing else. Some people will mess this up in sales where they're so excited about the index universal life sale and the tax-free retirement. They go into a home. The client is looking for an accidental death policy for like $10 a month. And, and the agent ends up trying to sell them a $1,000 a month IUL. And they walk out of there with no sale because the client said, here's what I want. Here's what I need. And the agent tried to sell them on something else. That person is get the one that gives the bad reputation to salespeople. Salespeople are not people who are late night used car salesmen on television trying to sell you something you don't need. Salespeople are great listeners, they're great relationship builders, and they're great at uncovering what your need is and showing them and showing you how they can fill it. That's it. And I say that and I say, listen, my marriage is sales. It's a constant sales job. I'm constantly selling Heather on staying married to me, and she's constantly selling me on staying married to her. One of the things I do is I do the dishes. Do I do them every night? No, but when I do, she likes it. So that's the sales thing. I know she doesn't want to do the dishes, so I do the dishes, right? Or, or you know, like a couple nights ago, she's like, I'll put all the kids to bed. You don't have to worry about it tonight. Oh, great. That's kind of cool. I mean, I love putting the kids to bed. I also like not putting the kids to bed. Like, I, like, I like both. So it's a, constant, it's a sales thing, right? Once you fill the need, now you got to close the deal. You know, in the in-home the, in the in the presentation for sales, this is where you get the check and fill out the application. You ask them who you're leaving this money to when you die and what's your social, Right. Here, we're now, uh, we're going to, what I do is, um, I say, well, let's go ahead and move forward. I just assume that. And they, they, don't, they don't stop. They'll stop me if they don't want to do it, but they don't stop me. 
And so the next step is this. I'm going to go ahead and send you the directions for completing the basic onboarding information. If they're not licensed, what they've got to fill out is basic background information, name, address, phone number kind of stuff. Real simple. If they are licensed, we also need banking and tax information, all that sort of stuff. But I'm going to send you instructions, Mr. Prospect, and uh, I need you to fill this out before we talk tomorrow because um, it takes about 10 minutes. That way we're not wasting time together doing this. You can do it in between now and then. And then I'm scheduling them for the next, the BAM fam. Uh, if you saw the assembly line video, the assembly line talks about the BAM fam, the book a meeting from a meeting. The next step is always known before you end the step you're in. So when I'm doing an interview, I don't get off the phone until the next appointment with them is booked. We know when we're getting together again. If they're licensed, we're getting together to walk through the contracting. If they're non-licensed, we're getting together to walk through the signing up of class and the scheduling of their state exam in the states that allow that, right? It's a, it's a process. It's a system. We're moving through it. And that ends the in-home present uh, the uh, recruiting interview, the interview that I do, the interview in basics. Um, I hope that gives you some insight. If you would love, if you'd like to listen to me doing some, uh, some live interviews, let me know. Shoot me a message and uh, let's, uh, let's line that up so you can hear how I do it. Hope that helps. Can I help you? Sure would like to. If you're an agent with us, please go to timewithfits.com. That's timewithfitz.com to schedule a time when I can help you directly. Just pick a topic, pick a time, and we'll meet. If you're not an agent with The Fitz Group, I encourage you to go to thefitzgroup.org slash contact. Again, that's thefitzgroup.org slash contact and send us a message. See you next week.